Hey, Mark. Hey. You ever hear that old joke about how the person who represents themselves in court has a fool for a client? I have heard that, yes. Yeah. Same thing goes for people who get their legal advice from a podcast. Dopes. Dopes. Don't do it. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, inappropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. Shut up. The Human Resources Director, Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Good morning and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. Hey, Mark. Hello, Dennis. How are things? Things are great. We're back in Studio B, which seems to become, be becoming, becoming Studio, studio, studio A. a. So, Although, you know, we'll, we'll go back to Studio A at some point in time. I imagine so. Yeah. It's uh, exciting times here in the city of Portland right now. It is. It is the Rose Festival. It, it It is. Yeah. Which is a time that, you know, I would encourage anyone who's thinking about visiting Portland to delay that visit by a month. I would tend to agree with that. <laughs> I, I came into town this weekend and tried to park in my parking garage to come into my office. Yeah, it, good luck. It was closed because what, the, the, whole par- the whole garage there? was closed. Jeez. I was able to get my car in, but then I was worried I wouldn't be able to get it out later. So oh, I ended up having to park somewhere else. Like the whole, all of downtown shuts down basically two weekends in a row. Yeah. <sighs> but if you want a carnival, if, if you want to um, put your life in the hands of somebody with meth teeth who's operating a roller coaster, Portland is the place for you this week. Well, pretty much all summer. I mean, there's there's something different going on on the waterfront every weekend, which I love. I love. Which is great. But you got to go like. all summer. It's like one big carnival all summer. Yeah. Nutty. So, Mark, I heard, based on nothing but my Twitter feed, that it is now okay to discriminate against gay people. I heard that, too. You think it's true? The Supreme Court said so. The Supreme Court said so, so it must be true, right? Right, and I I assume that goes for in in all walks of life, I employment, would, a public accommodation. I would assume so too. If you you know can't be forced to bake a cake for gay people, why give them jobs? In, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't believe that. Um, we know slightly better than that, but we're not really experts in that area of the law. We are not constitutional lawyers. No. For which I think our listeners should be quite grateful. Yes. But we know someone who is. Right. That is the benefit of being a not terribly smart person is that sometimes you get to know smarter people than yourself. That's right. And we have a guest here today who is uh, a constitutional scholar and our very close friend, P.K. Runkles Pearson. She is an attorney at Miller Nash here in Portland, Oregon. And I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit more, PK, about your, your expertise area. But um, she, she is a former colleague of ours from Stoll Reeves. Um, and so an employment lawyer, higher education lawyer, constitutional lawyer, very active in the ACLU. She's on the Multnomah County Library Advisory Board with me. Uh, she basically does everything. Uh, PK, welcome to the show. Well, guys, I don't know how I can live up to that introduction. Thanks for having me. Just um, just by being. <laughs> Thanks for being there. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do a little bit of all of those things. And uh, so I was really excited uh, when I heard that the opinion was coming down in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. And in retrospect, maybe I shouldn't have been so excited because the case says a lot, but ends up in some ways saying very little. That was our take on it, too. And it's a very confusing opinion. And it, it 
we've had several requests from listeners to delve in. Now, this is not technically an employment case. No. So this is a little bit of a, of a left turn for us to be talking about this. But it, it relates back to employment, ultimately. And we'll talk about that in a lot of different ways. And we thought it would be really helpful to kind of pick the case apart, first kind of describe what the case was about, and then take a look at the really messy, tangled web of opinions and concurrences and dissents without getting super wonky about it. That's hard. Um, it's hard, but I, we're gonna, I love we're, getting super wonky, but I won't, but I won't. Um, so maybe I should just describe the case and you guys can stop me if I get too wonky. How's that yeah, sound? Sounds great. Um, okay. So for, for those of you who have been living under a rock, um, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case uh, is about a baker in Colorado uh, whose last name is Phillips. Um, and Baker Phillips uh, runs a place called the Masterpiece Cake Shop. Um, and at, at one point... Baker Phillips sounds like a law firm. Baker Phillips, <laughs> it yeah. It probably is a law firm yeah. somewhere. Um, so Baker Phillips received a visit from two gentlemen who, were, who wanted to get married. And they wanted a special cake for their wedding. And it just so happens that uh, Mr. Phillips specializes in wedding cakes. So they came to, to talk to, to Baker Phillips, and, and before they even got into the details of what such a cake would look like, uh, Phillips told them that his religious beliefs prevented him from, uh, from making them a, a cake and that, um, and that they weren't going to, they weren't going to make a cake for them. So these folks left uh, justifiably upset, um, and they filed a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission um, saying that they had been denied free and equal access to a public accommodation. So we should talk a little bit probably about what a public accommodation exactly. means. Exactly. Yeah. just about to Because we're, we're employment people. Right. Yeah, we don't know what that means. So public accommodation <laughs> laws in many ways parallel employment laws, but they basically say that if you're a business that offers your services to the public and a member of that public comes and tries to buy services from you, you can't turn that person away because of their protected class. And in Colorado, that protect, those protected classes include being gay. But they also include uh, your race, your sex, lots of other things. Just like in employment. Just yes, very similar categories to employment, except you're not dealing with employment law. You're dealing with access to what what the legal term would be is a public accommodation. But here, let's just say a bakery. So if I ran like a Motel Six in Colorado, I couldn't put up a sign that says "Gays not welcome here." Absolutely, and in fact, you know these laws were created mostly during the 1960s. Although here in Oregon, were created much earlier um, for the per- very purpose of allowing everyone, regardless of your skin color, religion, sex, whatever, to be able to move around in society and access goods and services. Gotcha. So these folks filed a a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. And at least in my mind, under the public accommodations law, they had been clearly told that they were not receiving services and that they were not receiving services because they were gay. Okay. So that seems like a slam dunk case, right? It sure sounds like Pretty much. So the Colorado Civil Rights Commission looked at that case and said, yeah, slam dunk, violated the public accommodations law. Again, you would think that the case was over, um, but it was not. And that was because Phillips had a number of things to say, constitutional objections to raise to this. And just for your listeners, they probably know, but just in case, the Constitution trumps 
any statute. No, we're talking about the federal constitution, not the Colorado constitution. Correct. Yeah, the claims here were under the federal constitution. And there were two claims that matter here. One was a First Amendment claim, which is based on speech. So Baker Phillips was saying that he had a free speech right to say what he was saying. And that in addition to that, he raised an interesting theory of the First Amendment, which relates to compelled speech. So what he said is that by making this cake for this couple, he would be being compelled to make a statement that was contrary to his own beliefs. And the First Amendment does recognize such a theory. There's a question here about whether or not making a cake actually constitutes compelled speech. Cakes often have writing on them. Did this cake, do we know, was it asked to say like happy gay wedding or was it just kind of blank? (laughs) They never got to that point um, because once Uh he was told that this was a gay wedding cake, he said, that's no. it. We're not going any further. Take so, a hike. Okay. Um, so there was no discussion of what the cake would actually say, which ends up, you know, had the Supreme Court actually addressed these issues in detail, I think would have been a key issue that they would have looked mm-hmm. at. So that was the first claim that he raised, this First Amendment compelled speech claim. The second one is that uh, this is a violation of his free exercise of religion because his objection to making a cake for the gay couple was based on his religion. Okay. So um, so then the Supreme Court looks at this case, and these are very complicated issues. So the U- we're talking U.S. Supreme Court. now. It went yeah. through several layers of court in Colorado first, right? Um, yes. My, it went to, I'm looking here. I think I recall the, it went to the Colorado Supreme Court. It went to the Colorado Court of Appeals. Court of Appeals. Um, which I'm not sure whether that's the top uh Right. You know, I know that some some uh, states have their top court is called the Court of Appeals. My guess right. is that what's, that's what's happening here. OK. Uh, and then the um, U.S. Supreme Court granted here's fancy legal word uh, certiorari, which basically means the I su- can't even pronounce that word. <laughs> Can you? Certi- I've always pronounced it certiorari, not rare. I've heard it pronounced I, that I way. go cert. Lots of people say cert. That makes you sound hip. It, yeah, my, my inability nerd. to pronounce. Super law that. nerd hip. But basically what this means, it's fancy way of saying the Supreme Court gets to choose what cases it takes. It doesn't have to grant the appeal in this case. In this case, it did. And so when the court said, we're going to we're gonna weigh in on this case, people were, were excited, I think. Cool. Um, because, and let me just put this in a broader context. I would say that there are a lot of cases coming up now, and maybe later this ties to employment as well, in which it's no longer just an issue of whether or not a right has been violated. There's an issue where the, there is a clash of rights. Right Here mm-hmm. we have the right of, of gay people to participate meaningfully in society, including you know, receiving goods and services. Um, and the Supreme Court has ruled that, at least in some contexts, that is protected by the Constitution. Back in the Obergefell case and the Windsor cases a little while ago, which had to do with marriage. Right. So, and on on the other hand, there are the rights that Baker Phillips here is asserting, the rights to freedom of religion and the rights to free expression. So we expected a grand battle here, something something meaningful that was going to be presented. And um, surprisingly, the Supreme Court took a bit of a left turn. So what the Supreme Court ultimately said is they didn't address the free speech issues at all. 
So we have very little guidance here about what's happening in the free speech realm. So in not addressing the free speech issues, are they saying we don't believe those are issues? Or are they saying we just believe the case turns on something else? The latter. They believe so that they the case... So they just punted on it. They're they, just leaving it out there for somebody yeah. else to raise those claims at some later point, and they can choose whether to address them or not. Punt is the word I would use exactly. And, okay. you know, lots of appellate courts do this, right? They, they find... Uh, what what appellate practitioners would call the first door out, right? Here's a way not to have to address these complicated issues. Everything turns on this. We're done. Gotcha. So they did address a little bit about the religious objection that Baker Phillips had raised, but in a completely different way than I think most people had expected. Um, And here's maybe where a little bit of background in the law of free exercise of religion is helpful. Um, There's a case from years ago, um, actually originating right here in Oregon, Smith versus Employment Commission. Um, Sounds sexy. Yeah, very, very sexy. And um, that case says that neutral laws of general applicability can be applied to religious people, even if it means that that contravenes their religion. So in other words, you have a law that says all people must wait for the green light until crossing the street. Well, but my religion says screw that and I can jaywalk. Smith says too bad. Oh, bummer. Right. And so... So that's a little different than maybe than the employment context mm-hmm. where we might have a neutral law that has a disproportionate impact on a racial minority or something like that. And then we have a disparate impact claim and that is problematic. But here in the public accommodation realm, or in the, I guess not public accommodation, but in this religious speech realm. In the constitutional realm, when you're dealing with free exercise of religion claims. Then they say that that neutral law that serves, uh, I, I don't know what the standard is here, like a compelling purpose, or is it, is it one of those just, kind of, no, it's just, just a neutral, neutral law? law of general applicability. That's all it says. Okay. It just has to be a neutral law. Now, there's one caveat what's in the di- Sorry to no, interrupt, please. but what's the difference between a neutral law and a non-neutral law? Well, a non-neutral law, and there are some cases involving this as well, and I can't remember the name of the case, but there's a case that's cited in Masterpiece Cake Shop in which there were some um, some religious practitioners who believed in animal sacrifice. Well, yeah. Yeah, like like some people do. Um, <laughs> and in response to, in, in direct response to the fact that they knew that this particular group of folks had this belief, the local uh, government passed a law very narrowly defined talking about sacrifice and that sort of thing. So while they were presumably outlawing it, not like yes, outlawing supporting animal animal sacrifice, outlawing animal sacrifice, directed in terms that were you know pretty clearly about this religion. Right. So and and in fact that's a that's a good point to to bring up because in part that's what the masterpiece cake shop case turns on. Although oh. they didn't say they did not say that the public accommodation law was created for the purpose of infringing on Baker Phillips religious rights, but they did note that while neutral laws of general applicability may apply to religious people, those laws may not be enforced in a way that is overtly discriminatory. They may not be enforced with religious animus. Aha. Okay, this is starting to make sense now. And in this case, they pointed to a couple of different things that the uh, Colorado Civil Rights Commission had done, and they said that those things um, were evidence that the Civil Rights Commission had acted with bias towards Baker Phillips's religion. 
Gotcha. So here's the things that they pointed to. And these are important because this is where the court starts to split and fracture about what the right rationale for the case is. So the majority opinion, which is authored, of course, by Justice Kennedy, Mm -hmm. who gets to write all the big stuff because he's He's smack dab in the middle of a of a nine uh, member court. Um, it points, he points to, to two categories of things, I'd say, that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission did. The first thing that they did, uh, Justice Kennedy says, is that they treated Baker Phillips's case differently from other similarly situated cases. And, and here are the cases that, that they talked about. These cases involve another uh, gentleman named Jack. His last name is Jack. And Jack went to three different... Do you know Jack? I, I don't know Jack. I don't know Jack. I, I don't know Jack either. Uh, Jack went to three different bakeries, and he asked them to make a very specific cake. He asked them to make a cake that was in the shape of a giant Bible that said on it, had a big X, a big red X on one side of the page, and on the other part of the page said something really hateful about gay people. Okay. Something like, God hates fags. Okay. Something like that. Something really what I would consider extremely offensive. And not surprisingly, uh, the three bakeries declined to make this horrendous cake. Clearly, he didn't go to the Walmart bakery. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Walmart. One of my favorite parts of this is that uh, here are the names of the three bakeries. Gâteau Limited, Asukar Bakery, and my favorite, Le Bakery Sensual. Sexy cakes. Sexy cakes. So all three, (laughs) apparently they'll make sexy cakes, but they won't make hateful cakes. So actually, and and it's very interesting, all three of these bakeries (laughs) described their their ability and their technical artistry of their ability to make a cake that looked like a giant book. They said that they could do this really well. Some of them showed pictures of other cakes that looked like books that they had done before. Very happy to help you with that. We are expert bakers. However, we will not make your hateful cake. So this guy, Jack, also went to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and he said, this is a public accommodations problem. I have requested a service, and I have not gotten it. Based so, on what protected class? Exactly. Yeah, well, and we can get to that in a minute. Because is jackass protected? <laughs> jackass. Because <laughs> that's exactly where, you know, in part, the justices start to break down. But in Justice Kennedy's mind, this is a problem, because these three... The the Colorado Civil Rights Commission has said that it's okay for these three bakeries to decline to make this cake with this message, but it's not okay for Baker Phillips to decline to make a cake with a message that he doesn't agree with. I'm, but there's a difference here. There's a huge. I I cannot state I my dis, my stronger disagreement here. Well, let's get to this in a minute yeah. because there's another okay. category of things that Justice Kennedy says that the that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission did wrong, and here he points to statements that the Civil Rights Commission made um, when they were adjudicating this case, and he points to a couple of things, um, and I'm reading here from the case. One commissioner suggested that Baker Phillips can believe what he wants to believe, but cannot act on his religious beliefs if he decides to do business in the state. Um, Another commissioner said, um, if the law is impacting his personal belief system, he needs to look at being able to compromise. Now, Justice Kennedy says, standing alone, those statements could be read either way. However, the thing... Either way what? Meaning that they could be neutral statements or they could be not neutral statements about Phillips's religion. So it matters then whether the commissioner's 
views on this are neutral or not neutral towards yes. religion. Right. Even if the law is facially neutral. Correct. And and that's so they're consistent. being read as lawmakers in that sense, or is that? Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, and I think it makes sense when you look at past precedent. It makes sense that a person with a religious belief is entitled to a fair and unbiased adjudication of their of their case, right? But here's the statement that really makes Justice Kennedy upset, and I'm going to read it here. This is what a commissioner says. I would like to reiterate what we said in the hearing or the last meeting. Freedom of religion and religion has been used to justify all kinds of discrimination throughout history, whether it be slavery, whether it be the Holocaust, whether it be, I mean, we can list hundreds of situations where freedom of religion has been used to justify discrimination. And to me, it's one of the most despicable pieces of rhetoric that people can use to use their religion to hurt others. Now, Justice Kennedy follows that by saying, nobody objected to these comments. And to describe a man's faith, this is Justice Kennedy speaking, as one of the most despicable pieces of rhetoric that people can use is to disparage his religion in at least two distinct ways, by describing it as despicable and also by characterizing it as merely rhetorical, something insubstantial and even insincere. Wow. I'm... I did not read it that well. I didn't read it. I didn't hear it that way. Yeah. I heard it as being associated with discrimination. Yeah. Like, if religion is used to justify discrimination, that's bad. Right. right. And I have no problem with agreeing with that yeah. 100%. Well, and it, I was surprised when I read this case. Um, I, I agree with the general principle, as in fact does the dissent in this case, yeah. the dissent written by Justice Ginsburg and uh, Justice Sotomayor. Um, I certainly agree that a person of faith is entitled to a fair and unbiased uh, yeah, I think hearing. We'd all kind of agree um, with that. But, yes. but whether or not these statements and the, these other bakery cases are examples of anti-religious bias are less than clear to me. I struggle with that. I I have a hard time. And indeed, that's where the justices end up breaking down. So not to get too wonky about this, but this, these issues that you are raising here, these, this doubt that we're all talking about is exactly where the justices end up breaking down. So remember, we've got nine justices on the court, right? This is like a a primary school math problem, right? Take away (laughs) two. Those two are in dissent. Justice Ginsburg and Justice So Sotomayor. meaning in dissent, meaning that they would have they would not have sided for Baker Phillips. They would have sided uh, with the Colorado. Colorado Commission. Right. And when we're talking about what's in the majority and what's in the dissent, we're really talking about who agrees with what outcome. What outcome right. do they think should have happened right. here? Okay. So Ginsburg and Sotomayor believed that they, they should have found in favor of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Yeah. Although they agree with the statements that we've all just agreed with, too, that you know, we should have a neutral and unbiased right. discussion of these, but they don't believe that these statements were were problematic in that way. So then you've got seven remaining justices. They all join in the majority opinion, which is the one written by Justice Kennedy. But then they start filing concurrences, which are meant to clarify what the majority opinion actually means. And there are three different concurrences in this case, all attempting to put a different spin on what the majority opinion means. So Justice Kagan and Justice Breyer together write a concurring opinion in which they say, now these are are two of the more... In which they say, please don't hate us. (laughs) Well, they are two of the more liberal 
justices. Yeah, don't take right? away our liberal credentials because yeah. we sided with the majority on this. Right. Um, and, and they say, we think that the statements that the commissioners made were problematic. And because of that, we're concurring in the result here and in the that majority somehow, so, so what they're saying then is that, that they agree that those statements somehow tainted the process in such a way to make it non-neutral. Yes. So that they can't get to a, 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 an outcome that finds in, in favor of the couple, even the couple hasn't done anything wrong. Right. And in fact, they point out their their opinion is almost a roadmap for these Colorado civil rights commissioners about how to do it right next time. Uh-huh. They say this behavior was problematic. Why didn't the, the civil rights commission talk about the, the problematic behavior, which is turning away someone because of their protected class? Someone who's trying to get this service. As Why opposed did, to someone's religious belief. Right. Your religious belief, they would say, is not the critical issue here. The critical issue is that you broke a neutral law of general applicability. So why didn't you talk about that? They also talk at great length about this issue of the other uh, the other bakery cases. And they point out that the difference between... The, the Jack and Bakery Le Sensual cases <laughs> <laughs> and the Masterpiece Cake Shop case is that in Masterpiece Cake Shop, someone was being turned away because of who they are. Right. And and who they are, a protected class who they are. Correct. Right. Whereas in the Jack cases, he was being turned away because his message was hateful. Right. Now... But, but we, as far as we know, Jack was not part of a protected class, and that had nothing to do with why he was turned away. It was the, right. it was the message as opposed to who he was. Right. And, and in fact, the, um, the, this concurrence further talks about the fact that, um, that the bakeries, the three bakeries in the Jack case, would have turned away anybody who wanted to, make the, to have that message, regardless of who they are. So that's how they break down. Now, I'll be clear— Lots, reams and reams of paper have been written about if you turn away somebody who has, uh, who wants you to make a cake for their gay wedding, are you turning them away because of who they are? Are you turning them away because of the message? I think pretty clearly that you're turning them away because of who they are, because you would do any wedding cake except yours, right? So, so that's what Kagan and um, and Breyer are saying. Gorsuch and Alito file a, a concurring opinion, and Thomas files a concurring opinion in which Gorsuch joins. And they say that they would have gone even farther and that um, they would have Thomas's opinion talks all about the free speech issues and how he would have he would have ruled for Phillips based on free speech. And there's lots of other stuff in there. Gorsuch's opinion is really about how Kagan and Breyer's opinion, talking about these other three bakery cases, is completely wrong. So you've got two concurring opinions, each trying to clarify the majority opinion in different ways. And And in essence, doing exactly the opposite, it sounds like. Well, yeah. I mean, it is making really clear where these particular justices are are sitting um, because so everybody. So did Roberts agree that I didn't? Do I remember hearing his name on any of those concurrences? No, Roberts just He's joined just in, the in the majority opinion, which is a is a fairly typical thing for Roberts yeah. to do. He's a he's a sly operator, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he doesn't like to make a big splash until it really counts. So, um, yeah, we could talk a lot about. Supreme Court politics, but but where this decision, where does this decision actually leave us? I think one of the things that's been missed in a lot of the discussion is that um, a good portion of the opinion is about the rights of gay people, 
Um, the, the court never overturns public accommodations law. In fact, there are lots of things in this opinion where Justice Kennedy reaffirms the, the ability of states to enforce public accommodations laws that protect people with protected classes. So we hear a lot of commentators out there talking about the case uh, after an, an initial flurry of very um, uh, of headlines talking about how this is a, a blow to gay rights and and uh, accommodation for for gay people. Then they say, wait, we actually picked apart the language here, and there's actually a lot of really great stuff here. Yeah, I don't think this is a blow to gay rights at all. Okay, and in fact, you have to remember that Kennedy is the same person who authored the Obergefell opinion. Right. right, which is the opinion that that has very broad language about the rights of of gay people to live happy and fulfilled lives, full of what Kennedy would call personal dignity, and right? to marry, and to marry as well, which is what Obergefell <clears throat> was really about. So then, notwithstanding all of the various concurrences and dissents and blah blah blah, there's seven justices who signed on to a majority opinion. Right. The, yeah. Yeah. Seven. All seven. Mm-hmm. So, what does that? What is the actual legal takeaway from that majority opinion? Because all the concurrences, they can all say what they believe, but none of that's legally anything, right? So, what does the actual majority like? What's the legal takeaway here for us to think about next time? Right. So, I think Kennedy's language is always a little squishy, right? So, so sometimes it's hard to tell exactly what he's saying. I think if you if you want a five hundred thousand foot level view of this case, it's you can enforce anti-discrimination laws in public accommodation, thereby protecting people in protected classes. But if the person who's discriminating against them is doing so for a religious reason, you must treat that person, that person's religion and that person's beliefs with respect. So had they had the Colorado Commission just ignored this guy's religion and said, wait a minute, sorry, but the law says gay people get cake. Would we have a different outcome? That or, is the, or would that it be is, five four? Yeah, that is it the $500,000 question. But if, if, you, if you look at what Kennedy is saying and take it to its natural extension, I think we would have, we would have a law, or we would have a ruling upholding the, um, the right of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission to do that. Cool. Do you think that that would still be 5-4, just reading the, So maybe you'd get the two other liberal justices and Kennedy and the other four would still, right? Because, I mean, Gorsuch and Tom, right, with their, their well, own free I, speech, like they weren't yeah. going to side in Well, I don't think you're going to get Gorsuch. The, right. I don't think you're going to get Alito, and I don't think you're going to get Thomas. Right, so Roberts question is, is a question mark for me. Roberts and Kennedy are, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and I think that ultimately reading Kennedy's rhetoric and reading Kennedy's rhetoric in the in the previous gay rights cases that he's he's authored, uh, I think we end up with, with a win for anti-discrimination laws. It still feels like a really thin rationale to side with the baker here. Well, and let's take the sort Taking of those comments. judicial just... pragmatic view here. You know, yeah. sometimes what happens in these cases is that it only takes four votes to grant cert in, the, in this case. Uh, but it takes five votes to get a majority and win the case. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what happens in these very touchy cases is that the court realizes that this is... 
this is huge. You know, this is a big thing. They're having a really hard time coming to a conclusion. And so they try to find an early door out that's a result that everybody can agree with. And I think that's what happened here. I think they're really clear that, you know, there are going to be other cases, right? This is a really limited application in the end. Very limited. And it's really hard to tell, you know, in what cases in the future the court is going to consider the rationale to have been... um, to have been not uh, discriminatory towards religious people, right? I mean, these are very specific comments. I was very surprised to see that they believed that these comments about slavery and the Holocaust were sufficient to to overturn uh, a decision. When I say thin, I think that's where I'm... Yeah. Um, All right, one, one kind of final question. This has been a great discussion. What's the tieback for employers? Yeah, and that's a huge that's a that's a huge thing for this podcast, of course. But I think a lot of employers are wondering. As I mentioned earlier, I think this case is part of a wave of cases in which different rights conflict, and that's something that employers face all the time. So every uh, workplace has probably had a situation or may have a situation in which a person has a sincerely held religious belief that also may tend to violate the rights of a person in a protected class, right? We've all heard of people who believe, for example, that women should not have a, a role outside the home or that gay people are you know, somehow wrong. Um, and what this decision tells us is that these are sincerely held religious beliefs. And while the employer can still enforce, now I want to be clear, this is a constitutional case. It does not apply to non-public employers. Um, But I think extending the rationale, I think it makes sense that employers can enforce anti-discrimination rules, policies, laws. Uh, And in fact, you know, I was thinking about that in preparation for meeting you today. And I found some advice from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission about religious discrimination in the workplace. And in that context, they talk about how to accommodate uh, people who have religion. And that could be a whole another thing we could talk about, about religious accommodation. But one of the things they say is that an employer might be required to excuse an employee from some meetings, for example, if those meetings conflict with the employee's sincerely held religious beliefs. But... They are not required to do so if that would impose an undue hardship. And here are some examples of what the EEOC says would create an undue hardship on an employer. It would be an undue hardship to excuse an employee from training, for example, where the training provides information on how to perform the job or how to comply with equal employment opportunity obligations. So basically the EEOC is saying if Baker Phillips is your employee – and does not want to go to equal employment opportunity training. Because talk, because it conflicts with some religious obligation. Right. Or, or some religious belief. Point of view. Right? right. If Baker Phillips believes that his religion prevents him from treating gay people with the dignity and respect that everybody should be entitled to have, I'm letting my bias show here, but I think that's fine. Um, we then don't. We, don't do, we don't do bias on this, <laughs> on this podcast. Then you don't have to excuse Baker Phillips from from complying with your anti-discrimination policy, right? Gotcha. He can believe what he likes, but he still has to treat people with respect. But I got a different spin on things. Yeah. So let's say I'm Baker Phillips, and I'm hiring an apprentice baker. And a applicant comes through my door, and I recognize him because I turned him away last week when he wanted me to bake a cake for his gay mm-hmm. wedding. Can I, as 
Baker Phillips now say, it is against my sincerely held religious beliefs to employ that person. And your anti-discrimination law is imposing upon my First Amendment rights to believe in what I want to believe. No. Why not? Because that is a neutral law of general applicability, right? That but if is, it goes to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and they make some nonsense about how religion has been used to excuse all kinds of bigotry in the past, I would just end up in front of Justice Kennedy and get another 7-2 decision. And Well, that is one thing I find problematic about this decision, right, is that um, everybody seems to agree that this is straight up a violation of of Colorado's law, right? right. Um, and yet, um, because of the way it was enforced, there's still a problem with it. Now, I understand there's constitutional uh, reasons that say you don't want to enforce anything with with bigotry. Nonetheless, I mean that's a real problem for these two these. These two men who were getting married. Who didn't get justice. Who didn't get justice. They didn't get a cake. And it, so it made Well, I bet they could have gone to La Patisserie Sensuale or whatever. <laughs> or a bakery, a sukar, right? Yeah. They, yeah, they could have gotten other places. But but that's not what, I mean, I hear I'm digressing, I know, but right. but that's not what public accommodation law is about. Right. It's not about, it, it means could you should you be able to- you the service somewhere else? It's well, about- right. And it comes from a time in which if you were traveling through certain parts of the country and you looked a certain way, there was no second choice for you. It was like, no. Well, and it imposes the burden on the person in a protected class to continually be humiliated at oh, place totally. after place until they find somebody who's willing to sell them a cake. Yeah, That's not right. right. And and I think that the, one of the problems of this decision, the, the cake shop decision, is that it overlooks these two men who just wanted a cake for their wedding. And that's what Justice Ginsburg says in her dissent, in fact, is that, you know, this wasn't about a gay wedding cake. This was about a cake for uh, Craig and Mullins, that's their last yeah. names, for Craig and Mullins' wedding. This Full reminds stop. me a lot of, of situations in criminal law where maybe uh, somebody did something and you know they did it, but there's a chain of custody issue and there's mm -hmm. a procedural issue that bars justice from happening in the end. Mm -hmm. That's what this feels like, but in a civil context. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. So, I mean, back to the employment context. I mean, that really is the takeaway here, is that Phillips doesn't get to say, I'm not hiring you, person who requested a gay wedding cake for me a week ago, <laughs> um, because he's bound to not discriminate in his hiring. There are a few exceptions to that, but they're religious institutions, which is another story So when altogether. Baker Phillips starts a church. Yes. When Baker and, Phillips and we have talked Phillips. about that on the podcast before. Yeah. What if Baker Phillips starts a church and then the church starts a bakery? Actually, most of the cases say that the bakery still doesn't get to discriminate. Really? Yes, because yeah. the church cases are well, about... We talked about that with the, the mega church and the restaurant. Yeah, that's like, right. Like, what is that, like eight episodes ago? The one that the was Sixth the buffet Circuit. where yes. people work for free? Yes. Yeah, because those aren't core church functions, the bakery. Right. Unless you're, unless you're the church of the holy well, wedding that, cake. That one court said, no, you can make people work for free at your church buffet. Right. The courts don't always get it right. No. That was a really problematic decision. I listened yeah, to the yeah, podcast. That was, that was a problem. That was a problem. That was nutty. But most of the employers listening to this podcast are not going to be religious institutions. And so I think... No, because they all quit subscribing after episode four. <laughs> so the takeaway here... Not I, our core audience. Sorry. No. You guys. So I think the takeaway here is you can't discriminate. Like, you can't discriminate. 
I mean, and and I, I expect that this will be, uh, you know, adjudicated a little more over the years to come. But I, I oh. think right now that's the takeaway from this case. That's a good takeaway. Thank you. This we was like an it. excellent yeah. conversation. That was great. Yeah. Thanks for letting me nerd out with you. We'll be right Anytime. back. We'll be right back. Okay, I got a question I want to ask, but it wouldn't be good to ask if only Mark was here because this is one where, you know, every now and then we do this and Mark and I look at each other and go like, wow, there's something that we'd really like to talk about, but we're two guys and we really need the female perspective on a particular issue. Uh-oh. Many issues. Dangerous. Many and, issues. And that comes yeah. Also, two white guys. I mean, it was whatever, right? right. Like, you know, <laughs> where, where, where we might not have the full diversity necessary to have the perspective to talk about certain issues from a point of like knowledge and personal experience. Because, you know, Agreed. I speak for all women. You do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank and you for that. Now and then Mark and I take on that role when we're qualified. I think a few episodes back, I spoke for worldwide Jewry on it. Yeah, I think we, we have the Jewish white male. Yeah. I thought you said you were saying you were going to speak for women and I wasn't going to judge. No, but... we, don't, we don't do that. Okay. Um, we try not to. But here's an issue that has been all over the news lately. And just like the Supreme Court case was all over Twitter, and I want to get some clarity on And that is the C word. Oh. So here's 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 what happened. Just as a reminder, in case like somebody's going back and listening to this months from now, Roseanne took Ambien and got on Twitter and said a bunch of racist crap, and ABC canceled her show. And we all said, "Yay!" No, what we all said was, "Why didn't they do it before?" Because she's always said a bunch oh, right. of racist yeah. stuff. Right. Her Twitter right? feed, it's not like this was super new. No, her Twitter feed looks like you know Charlottesville protesters oh. on crack. It's crazy. But anyway, Roseanne, racist stuff, fired. One day later, um, a Samantha B. Samantha B. gets on her show on TBS. Which is seen by, like, a tiny fraction of the viewers that watch Roseanne. (laughs) There's not a lot of crossover audience there. Refers to Ivanka Trump using two words. One was feckless, and the other was the C word. Mm -hmm. Yes. Amantha B. got on and apologized, but then, like, everybody who was all butthurt that Roseanne got canceled started going crazy about how Samantha B. still has a show. Do they have a point? Is there a difference here? What's going on? So what I'm seeing is that there is a lot of people who want to conflate Roseanne's racist tweet to Samantha B's use of the C word and say those are the same thing. And while I might have my opinions on that, I kind of want to get a constitutional scholar and female's <laughs> opinion on that. Well, this is not a constitutional issue. I mean, it's pretty clear that Samantha well, B has the right to say whatever she wants speech. to say. Yeah, but free speech and what about is free speech. Free speech is a right as opposed as versus the government, not versus ABC or versus whatever crazy channel Samantha B is on. Right. Which would so, if Dennis had listened to our episode last week, he would know that. Right. So it's not really, I mean, it might be a free speech <laughs> issue, sure, but it's not a First Amendment issue. Right. Okay. Um, but what do I think about Samantha B? That's a really hard question for me. I mean, speaking from my own female perspective, not Thank for you. all females, that's a hard word to hear. 
that's a word that's been used in a lot of ways to hurt women for a very, very long time. And mm-hmm. it's a word that, that quite frankly, I don't like to hear. Um, and I have some tolerance to words. Um, but what I, what I it's would also... It's one of the very few words in the American English language that we won't say. Yeah. Like very few of us will say. There's like the F word, which we say all the time. The N-word, which I can't say that we've ever said on this podcast. And then there's the C-word. But you never hear about, like, the Q-word or the B-word or, you know. I think that's a that's a strong word. And it's a yeah. word that has impact. Now, let me say that comedians, especially, like, social commentary comedians, have used strong words for effect for a very long time. And my understanding of the context in which Samantha B was using this might have made it appropriate for her to use that word. I don't know. I know that it makes me uncomfortable. I also know that it made a point. And Mm -hmm. she was trying to make a point. And the point in this case was that Ivanka Trump is supporting an administration that is taking children away from their parents in the immigration context. And that Ivanka Trump is then posting pictures of herself holding her own child. Which, if you're an immigrant who has had their child taken away, is the height of hypocrisy and it must be incredibly devastating. And so I don't, I don't like that word. I, I think that I would have preferred that she use another word, but I understand the strength of the point that she was trying to make. Can we also point out another area of hypocrisy here? Let's go for it. Right. Unless it's my hypocrisy. Many of the individuals who were calling for her head or the cancellation of her show because yeah. of that comment did not do that when the president and others have used that same word about Hillary Clinton yeah. and other political figures. Yeah. No, Ted Nugent used that word and got invited to the White House to pose in front of right. Hillary's portrait. Uh, right. So, so maybe so. I can't remember if the president himself used that word or not, but he has certainly endorsed others and not called for them to be fired when he, he has used, used that word. Synonyms. Yes. Talking about a political rival or, or, or others. Oh. Right. I think that is another area that is simply the height of hypocrisy that calling for her to be canceled when they have not called out others who have used that same word. Clearly, there is a lack of consistency here. You know, I think the other thing to talk about, I don't know where this puts me on one side or another of the Samantha B divide, but words that harm rebound differently depending on who they're used by. I was about to ask that. Yeah, I... I would have felt a lot differently about it, even though I don't like the word and it's still hard to hear. I would have felt way differently about it if John Oliver had used it, which I know he never would, <laughs> than if Samantha B used it. Right. I think that's fair. That's very fair. And Roseanne, a white woman, made a racist comment about African Americans and Muslims in the, in the same in the same tweet, which and, is and you it know, didn't a seem to be making a particular political point. It seemed to just be no, it's just mocking somebody, right? For, it's you know, so so there are contexts here. I, I admit the word still makes me feel comfortable, uncomfortable, but I, I don't think that those two instances are parallel to one another. Just from my own view. Thank you. Ask a different woman; you'll get a different answer. Uh, we'll try. <laughs> But we don't want to. We don't want to. Because we this don't is have it. any around, and we're already coming up on an hour in this episode. So, But, you know, we have, like, lots of women listeners who know how to tweet at us and give us their point of view. I'd love to hear what other people have to say about yeah, this. If please you have opinions on the C word, tweet at us. Way. We'll talk about it on our next episode. Yeah. We'll, if, we'll, if, we'll, if you do. If you yeah. don't, then we'll just move yeah. on. Yeah.
Cool. Thanks. We'll be right back. And we're back. And that was an interesting conversation about cake. I really enjoyed that. I'm kind of hungry now. I want, I want a cake. We can go get cake after we're done. I know it's only like, you know, it's it's still early morning. Here, it's never too early for cake. Bakery cake Sensual is right down the street. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of those in Portland. <laughs> um, all right. So we've got a, I'm going to do a listener story here. But, but first, just a historical note. Yeah. So early on in our conversation about Baker Phillips... I googled Baker Phillips just to see if there was a law firm with that name. And I found something even better. (laughs) Baker Phillips, I'm just going to read this from the Baker Phillips Wikipedia entry just because I'm amused. Baker Phillips was a second lieutenant in the Royal Navy during the War of Austrian Succession. During the conflict, he served aboard the HMS Anglesey. In 1745, an unprepared Anglesey was attacked and captured by a French warship. Phillips was court-martialed and executed for surrendering his ship while in command. His superiors have him falling to French fire. PK's face is, is, is priceless at the moment. His court-martial was widely criticized and led to an amendment of the British Articles of War. Wow. wow. Baker Phillips. Baker so Phillips. just to Back be clear, in 1745. the guy in Masterpiece Cake Shop, his name is Jack Phillips, but I didn't want to call him Jack Phillips because the other guy's last name was Jack, and that would just that get really confusing. That would have been really super confusing. confusing. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah. So, little little historical note. You learn something every day. All right, I got a listener story here. Um, Our listener says, first, I want to say how much I enjoy the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I recently discovered it, and I'm now a dedicated listener. I listen on my morning run, and sometimes I'm laughing so hard I have to stop running. I'm sure the other runners in the area think I'm crazy. I've shared it with many of my HR with as many of my HR colleagues as I can, and I'm totally going to get your coffee mug. My crazy HR story goes like this. This happened four years ago. I had just arrived at work and was organizing my day when Mary came barreling through my door, holding her hand to her face, cheek, and she was almost yelling. I could not understand one word that she was saying. I calmed her down, and she proceeded to tell me that she what had just happened. Mary, in quotes because we're using different names here to protect the innocent, Uh, was a server in our restaurant and worked the morning shift. She was in the kitchen placing her order when all of a sudden the line cook threw a hot piece of ham off the grill at her (laughs) and hit her in the face. She refused medical attention. I immediately called up the chef to my office and asked if he knew what had just transpired in his kitchen. The chef and I brought up the ham slinger and had him in the room next to my office. <laughs> when I interviewed the him, the ham slinger, I just, it's awesome. Is that capitalized? That's going to title our episode. The ham slinger. The ham slinger. Uh, it sounds like, it sounds like a, like a Ronco product from the 70s. <laughs> like, the like one of those ones in Arrested Development. Yes, <laughs> like yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Uh, so the ham slingers in the office next to hers, when I interviewed him, his story was a little different. Mary was in the kitchen all morning pestering him, mouthing off, and somewhat coming on to him. He had to tell her numerous times to check on her customers. He said that she was verbally abusing him, calling him names, questioning his capability in the kitchen directly before the incident. He had asked her to stop, and when she didn't, he grabbed a ham steak off the grill and threw it at her, hitting her in the face. Wow. So this reminds me of one of your previous episodes that I listened to recently about ways to keep people from harassing you. Right, right. 
if you can't fart on them, <laughs> sling ham at them. That Except seems, it didn't work for the ham slinger. That, that's a bridge oh. too far. <laughs> yeah. Ham the ham slinger was fired immediately. Oh. Well, Regardless yeah. of her actions, she should, he shouldn't have done what he did. Mary did not want to press charges when she finally took her hand off of her face. There were no visible marks from the ham. <laughs> oh, that's good. I think the shock of the incident affected her more than the ham did. Of course, as you know, during the investigation, a lot of information came out. Everyone in the restaurant and kitchen said that she was drunk every morning when she came to work, <laughs> how she hounded the cook all the time after he turned her down when she asked him to party with her. Things could have turned out very differently. I was very thorough with my investigation and even reprimanded staff for gossiping about the incident and making Mary feel uncomfortable. She asked to move to the night shift, which I arranged very quickly. One night as she was working, she had come on to a couple of customers in her section of the restaurant. The men were so uncomfortable and offended that they went to the front desk to complain, and the MOD, manager, MOD, on, manager duty. on duty, thank mm-hmm. you, on shift, called me. That's why we have guests. Yes. Uh, I came in uh, to talk to Mary, and she was falling down drunk. I told her that I was, I was uh, taking her for a reasonable suspicion alcohol test, and she said, no, I quit. Well, problem solved. Problem solved. That's an interesting story. I, I, I was amused. The ham slinger. The ham slinger. I've got a question, though. So we did talk about self-help methods for combating harassment. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> and I think, and PK, I want to get your opinion on this, because I think Mark and I both thought that the um, hand farter <laughs> was an acceptable response to somebody's uh, behavior. I think you did. I was a little you more on the line. I was on the line I on was that. very pro-hand farting. Um, but I think we'd all agree that slinging hot ham at somebody and hitting them in the face is probably crossing a line of some sort. Like to assault? Yeah, like to assault. Is that where, where people should draw the line if they're asserting their self-help methods against their harassers? When, when does, like, your resistance to harassment become a terminable offense? Well, I think there are a couple of things here. If I remember the hand farting case appropriately, <laughs> this was a person who had requested help several times from management and had not received it. I seem Am to I remembering that right? I do seem maybe. to recall I mean, that and so maybe it they seemed, had reached a desperate situation. Right. So so that, that makes this situation maybe a little bit different from this one, right? In which it doesn't sound like management ever heard about the issue from the, from the cook. And then suddenly he's throwing hot ham at people. That's a problem. <laughs> but I, I think any time you, you're, you have you know, injury or something that sounds like assault in the workplace, that's probably not appropriate behavior. So are you saying there's never a point in which it's okay to throw hot ham in somebody's face? I think that's probably right. Unless that person is probably perpetrating that kind of physical assault on uh, well, you. Well, I mean, right, right. Like maybe. If, if, if there was if, hot ham self-defense involved. If she was there with a gun and he only had a ham in his hand to defend himself, I, and I'm putting this in, in the defense. employer situation. You know, I don't think employers should ever tell their employees that they may not take action that's necessary to defend themselves bodily, right? right. Um, but as in any self-defense situation, there's a proportionality issue. I would say that it would be a really unusual situation where it would be okay to throw blazing hot ham at somebody in the workplace. What do you guys think? I concur. I dissent. <laughs> Are you wearing your dissent collar? I, I am wearing my Justice Ginsburg dissent collar right now. You think Justice Ginsburg would not be... Uh... 
I she'd think be, she'd be I into think the ham throwing. Ginsburg would have said, you know what? Mary, drunken, lecherous Mary, deserved a little hot ham. And that would, it would be a 7-2 decision. But me and Sotomayor, we'd be pro-ham. <laughs> On that note. I think that's a real problem. That is a slippery slope, Justice Westland. Yeah, well, the slippery ham slope. <laughs> when President Trump appoints me to the Supreme Court, just wait and see what will happen. I actually think you just improved your qualifications for that. I, I think I did. All right. No comment. <laughs> we'll be back in a week with more exciting installments of the hostile work environment. Dennis, how can the people reach us? Well, if they like email, they can send their email to stories at hwepodcast.com. And are we on Twitter? We are at... HWE podcast. And are we on Facebook? Yes, indeed we are. Just search for Just Hostile find Work us. Environment. We don't update it enough. I got to no. go and do that. We're on Facebook in the sense that there is a There's Facebook a page. page with our name and on it. And I think the last update was three episodes ago. So I, I probably that, should go yeah. do something about that. Yeah. Nobody looks at Facebook anymore. And if, if people want to donate to us in some way to help us cover our expenses. They can go to patreon.com slash HWE. And if they do so, they get access to our Patreon-only content, which we call Hostile Work Environment After Dark. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. We've done, what, two, three of them now? And two, three. We were in the, we're middle, halfway of in the middle of recording one. When PK knocked on the door, so I had to hit pause. But it's, it's, it's going to talk about, we were in the middle of a really interesting discussion about religion in the workplace that will tie in nicely to today's topic. Yeah. So check that out. If you pay us. Yeah, only if you pay us. If, if you're not paying it, don't even go there. Are there any other ways for the people to get in contact with us? Um, carrier pigeon. Smoke signals. Smoke signals. I think it's like the third episode we've made that joke. Is it? Maybe. Really? Probably. Oh, probably. Anyway. All right. See you later. See you later. Thank you, PK. Thanks, guys. Thanks, PK. Come back anytime. Sportos, motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude.